Welcome to BitFair Spite, a weekly podcast about the web design industry, tools and techniques upcoming and in use today. My name is Adam Listick, a web developer from Northern California and Central Illinois. If you'd like to help support the show, please tap the link in this episode's description if you're using the Anchor application or visit anchor.fm slash bit-v-byte to become a monthly supporter. So I want to say, sorry, I've been off the air for about a month now. Uh, It was one of those things where uh, I had a bunch of stuff going on and seemed like a good time to take a break, uh, even though I kind of missed more than I intended. But I want to get back into the swing of things and kind of keep this going. So sorry for that, you know, delay there. But hey, thanks for sticking with me if you're if you're still listening to this. So with that, I want to jump into a bit of news. And of course, there's been a ton over the month. I'm not going to cover everything, but I want to at least start with a couple things of interest lately. So the first kind of bit of news that came up was kind of interesting. We've talked about this a bunch of times before, notably around privacy and social media networks and that kind of thing. And, you know, with the whole Cambridge Analytic issue that, you know, and and controversy that happened in the past uh, year, there is a a trial going on right now. And so for, during this pre-trial hearing, Facebook made the interesting argument that on a social media network, there's no expectation of privacy. You know, as someone who may use and consume the network, you kind of have to, in a way, just if you're using it, expect that ultimately, if you're putting content out on the internet, one may think that just in case you should really think that probably something might come out or you know if if a a leak happens or anything like that that ultimately your content can't be perfectly protected but the sheer fact that facebook itself is basically saying regardless of the privacy controls you may have on your account or anything like that in the end there's really no expectation to that privacy it's kind of a, a a big jump and a big you know view into their thought process, and if that's the case, then where does that leave all of the you know advocates for privacy? How does that really influence public debate and position over what is happening now, especially with upcoming you know oversight hearings, both in uh, the House and you know with the uh, Department of Justice, which really does kind of lead into the next bit of news. And that's the fact that the Department of Justice is actually looking into maybe starting an antitrust probe of Google, um, which really uh, came a little bit before the news today, which is that the House is now starting a uh, overarching look into the practices of the tech giants out there, you know, in privacy and just in general the industry. So very rapidly, there's a whole lot of various things coming to you know uh, to a head and a whole lot of looks into how the industry operates and where it might be going from here and this isn't anything new this has certainly been you know google's certainly been on the receiving end of antitrust probes as recently as i believe 2013 um and possibly 14 uh but ultimately you know it's come back around especially with the sheer number of privacy snafus and issues that have come up. So it will be interesting to see how this plays out over the next year. But really, most of these large you know, companies should be thinking hard as to 
how they approach you know their dealings with the public how they approach their products and something like facebook arguing that there's no expectation of privacy will probably not go over too well in terms of how the antitrust probe and house uh, investigations uh, proceed so it will be pretty fascinating to watch certainly something we've covered a bunch on this uh, show and i look forward to <laughs> seeing what happens and how it ultimately affects the product and the end user there's been a bunch of Microsoft news, um, but the one that you know developer-oriented that it makes me the most excited is that they have finally created a new terminal. So the good old command prompt uh, that they've had for ages, they are actually changing into doing a whole rewritten uh, Microsoft terminal, and this will be using the new underpinnings that uh, ConPty has actually brought up with their rewrites coming in the next version of Windows. So it's a very bit of geeky news there, but it is certainly something that a lot of developers have wanted. Uh, not only does it have a lot of support for uh, all the VT hosts and everything that you need to make a proper terminal work, and especially connect to other Linux systems and that kind of thing, but it's going to have the mainstays of any new terminal nowadays, which is like tabs and that kind of thing. So a, a tiny bit of news, but something that you know a lot of folks and especially Windows developers and uh, power users have wanted for a long time. Uh, DigitalOcean uh, Kubernetes is now generally available, kind of out of beta right now, and it has been kind of progressing more and more into a more fully featured uh, offering by them. And honestly, it's probably the easiest possible way to jump into the Kubernetes world. Um, you really, it doesn't take much to really spin up a cluster and just kind of check it out, see what it can do for you. And with the new generally available version, uh, the metrics have gotten infinitely better and you can do a whole lot more with it. So if you haven't, you know, kind of dived into that world, um, and I'm slowly getting there myself, um, I don't have tons of need for it at the moment, but I'm exploring what it can do for me. Uh, but it's a great, it's a great product to jump in and try out especially for as low cost as it is. Um, and the tools they can give you, it, it makes it a heck of a lot easier to you know, check it out and try. Now, speaking of other developer news, um, VS Code now has, uh, well, they're exploring, they don't necessarily have, but they're exploring remote uh, development. And this really just kind of means that, uh, you know, as I understand at the moment, that you can essentially connect to containers uh, that then run uh, certain things that you need, and this could be either on your local system or remotely. Uh, they're even looking at how to host VS Code in the cloud entirely so that you could just go to a web browser and basically do all your development, even with that container support and everything you would expect. Uh, it's really cool, you know, and there's, they're really just working on it right now, um, but it's slowly getting closer and closer, and you can try some of it out. But a really cool option, uh, and I think it will be kind of a game changer for how development is done and how easy it is to spin up what you need locally to then develop against um, production services. And you know, with the advent of containers and everything that goes with it, a pretty, pretty amazing little ecosystem that's being built, and it's going to make it that much easier to really develop anything you need regardless of the operating system that you're on. So with that, I kind of want to 
switch into another topic. Um, I don't have too many links and resources today. I'm kind of skipping that uh, since there's a bunch of news and I, I want to jump into talking about kind of cloud providers and the idea of multi-cloud deployments. And this whole idea of maybe not putting all your eggs in one basket is the greatest of ideas. Um, and really what had me thinking about this is the fact that there is a story, and it's not the first one I've heard, but a company on DigitalOcean, which for what it's worth, I have my stuff on there. Um, I really do love them. Uh, but this illustrates the point that much more where all of their servers and their business was essentially taken offline and shut down because a script that they had running uh, triggered a kind of malicious account notification. And since it was all automated, it shut down their account and made all their servers inaccessible. And it really only took a large outcry uh, from them on, the so on social media and others chiming in, kind of pushing DigitalOcean to look at this for it to come back. Now, none of their stuff was deleted or wiped out, but it did shut them down. And ultimately, how long could it have gone on if you know there hadn't been a larger outcry about this? You know, and DigitalOcean, for what it's worth, did make mention of the fact that like it shouldn't have shut it down twice, which is what it did. Like they got their stuff restored, and then the script triggered again, and due to that, it then closed the account. That shouldn't have happened, and they're doing a postmortem, kind of figure out what happened and what could they do better, because obviously companies and this kind of stuff is their bread and butter. So, you know, what's the better approach to this? But ultimately, what happens if you're completely reliant on one service? And what happens if something goes wrong, you know, unintended or not? Or if that provider is taken entirely offline? You know, do you have the ability to kind of quickly transfer, recreate what you need for your company somewhere else? And most of the time, most people don't. You know, I'm about halfway there uh, and I'm, you know, still getting there, but I'm trying to find the right technologies to make it work easiest for me. But a lot of times you have a lot of data as well in one spot. So say your data is in DigitalOcean Spaces, which is a lot like AWS S3. But, you know, even if you have your servers running in AWS connecting back, if one or the other goes down, ultimately you're, you're kind of in a tough spot. So how do you handle this? Well, there's a lot more technologies coming out to kind of help with this. And some of the idea is that you can do things like Kubernetes across clouds. Or, you know, if you use Cloudflare, for example, they have ways to load balance or direct uh, traffic depending on um, certain number of rules and that kind of thing to different areas. So you could conceivably have three different cloud copies of it. And depending on what you want to do, have things weighted across them or switch over when you need it. Um, there's, uh, you know, any number of ways, but really as a company or as your own personal stuff, have you really taken a, you know, time to plan out what would happen? You know, if I need to fully restore from backups on another cloud service, could I do it? You know, I I could. It would take much longer than I would I would like to do. I think so. Even though I've got that, it's a it's a matter of well, what what is a way to more quickly handle it? You know, with a minimum amount of of pain and 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 challenge there. And I think that that's really it. Like things will happen, downtime will happen, but ultimately, what can you do to kind of plan for the worst of it? 
So I think that with that kind of thought process, you know, there is, there is something when you're thinking of architecting your systems, maybe at least, you know, initially, even if you can't do it, start thinking ahead. Are there ways to script out the deployments using tools like Ansible, uh, which I use and love to create the configurations and servers that I need? And are there other options where you could use like, say, Terraform, uh, which I'm using for Cloudflare right now for my DNS records. So worst case scenario, something got wiped out. I have that record to recreate as I need to. And then you can use stuff like uh, Cloudflare Workers or just their round-robin DNS kind of approach to it uh, if you need to redirect to different places. If you need to do dual DNS kind of setups, uh, you could do that as well. Um, there are a couple tools out there that allow you to kind of do that. Um, I'm blanking on the one right now, but I'll try to link in the show notes. Uh, but there is a tool that uh, a couple out there that let you create configurations to push up to both uh, different cloud deployments. I think Stack Overflow does this. Um, and it's kind of that last you know bit you're thinking like, what are all the points that could fail? Be it database, be it a server, be it DNS, whatever it might be. And ultimately, some of it depends on how mission critical your tools are. And it could be that ultimately you can afford some downtime, that you don't need to worry as much. Um, but, you know, it's always good to have a plan, always a good thought to say, like, worst case scenario, what would I do? So I just want to kind of put that thought out there. And I know that it's becoming more and more common uh, for these kind of things to be thought about. But with vendor lock-in and with this, you know, possibilities that a certain provider might not you know, do all the things you need to do or something goes terribly wrong is definitely worthwhile to keep in mind what would I do in that case. So I'll leave it there. Uh, Follow this podcast on Twitter at bitvbyte and Facebook at slash bitvbyte. Thank you for listening and please join us next week.